Hey everybody, this is Tim Shorts of Gothridge Manor doing a lunchtime podcast. Fighting a headache today, so a little bit of low energy, but okay. Overall, a few weeks ago, uh, Eric was doing like the uh, what was it, Urban Adventures or something? He was oh, he's giving away Great London, and I put in the suggestion of doing urban doing a a podcast about urban adventures and basically he kind of did one and then he threw it back on my face (laughs) so uh, it's probably going to be a multi-part cast so i thought i'd start it off and the first thing i have to start off with uh pretty much everything i have learned in a way from doing urban adventures city adventures has really come a lot from my friend Rob Conley, who is basically the Mr. Judge's Guild. He's like Bob's son they never had. <laughs> he knows that, knows it so well. We've adventured in it so much and really showed me how much you can uh, develop and play entire campaigns without living, leaving the city walls. Freaking amazing. But I'll. I'm, but I'm going to come at it from my angle because we definitely have different. We both have different approaches. My approach is there. You have your option. First of all, you got to pick the city that you want to run your campaign through. Most campaigns only have one city. You know, there can be multiple ones, but oh my gosh, I can't even imagine trying to handle like even two cities at one time. But it can be done just a lot of work on your part but you have to pick your city and you have to decide do you want a city that's pre-made or do you want one that you're going to make yourself and there's pros and cons to both of those if you decide to run a pre-made city the problem that you're going to have with that is what i call right uh, flipitis because you're going to be flipping through the pages looking for different entries because it doesn't matter how well a city's presented, it's a city, so you're going to have lots and lots of stuff, lots of entries and and whatnot. And like if the, we'll just give the generic example of the the players coming into the city looking for a tavern inn, which is ninety nine percent of the case when they come in. And if you want the guards, you know, they always seem to ask the guards or somebody on the street. And then you kind of flip through your book. Oh, yeah, there's this in here. There's this in there. This in there. And then if they want details on each, then it's sort of like another, uh, you know, kind of regurgitation of the written material. Now, if you know it, like my memory is not great. So memorizing this stuff anymore is not my strength where maybe in my younger days it wasn't too bad and I was able to recall information quicker and because that gives you the base to to you know play off of and everything and but if you don't have that basis then then your continuity is gonna your continuity is gonna kind of suffer because of it uh well more ambulances lots of ambulances and city police today 
And that's another thing that, you know, that's a, one of the segments is going to be about continuity because in city adventures, it's probably the most challenging thing. So, but the benefit of that is you have that information there. So if you do, if you do have a good memory and you can memorize this stuff, then you don't have to really make anything. You just read it, you know, maybe make some quick notes. That would be my suggestion because you know, your players are going to go in there looking for certain things. Uh, you know, they're going to go for shopping. They always just go shopping in the cities. So you've got, you know, list, get a list of taverns, get a list of, you know, weapon sellers and armorers. And if you happen to have a high fantasy campaign, you're going to want to get a couple potion makers in there and magic arms dealers and whatever, you know, some mage guild that sells wands or whatever, whatever your city would possibly have to create because this is supposed to be the mecca of you know the trade so if you can get it this should be possibly where you can get it um so if there if you're doing a pre-planned city at least study the map study the entries that you possibly know that you're gonna go, they're gonna go to so that way it eliminates some of the flipping through the book because I, I'm <laughs> if I'm playing and the GM's like spending most of his time flipping through the book, I get I get disengaged. It's not as fun. I mean, I'm a patient person, but it's still I'm not a big fan of it. I don't like it. I don't like it when I have to do it, so I try to minimize it, and I don't like it when other folks are doing it. But like I said, the benefit of that is you definitely got a lot of your work already done for you so you can and then and then you can refer back to it also so your the consistency is going to be a little bit more uh consistent hey there you go now this the style that i do though since i don't have a good good memory is i create a map i create my own city you don't have to you can use another city's map there's there's tons out there harn's got a lot uh, Glenn's actually got a Kickstarter that he's going to have, have uh, cities on one side and whatnot. So there's a lot of different resources for city maps. Even if you're reusing, say you use reuse Waterdeep, but you're going to make it your own city. And uh, as long as the players don't, you know, give you shit for reusing the map, then you're good to go. I like making my own maps, of course, and I make my own cities. I try to make them as simple as possible, but kind of interesting at the same time. I like to, I like to have people look at it and and find it interesting, like just the geography of the city. Like, what is that? You know, what is, what interesting point is that kind of deal? So what this does, it allows me, in a way, to just create things as I need them. Now, I will already have a few, anywhere from two to, you know, five taverns slash inns created because of the necessity of them. And you're going to need a variety because sometimes you're going to want to, some of your parties are going to want to stay in the, I don't know, the, the slummer areas. And, and then some are going to want to try to stay where all the nobilities hang out and so make sure you have different sets of qualities of 
of uh, not only inns and taverns, but also the stores that are out there, you know, like pawn shops and higher end, you know, weapon shops and different things. But if it's my town, then what I can do is I can I can create them as needed. And why that helps me the most is because I'm the one doing it so I can remember it better. So if I have the Green Goblin Inn on the north side of town, and I just created that because right now it's like I got two, two, two inns and two taverns, but they're sort of higher quality, and these guys are still kind of struggling and don't have much coin. All right, well, I, there's a Green Goblin Inn, and uh, it's, it's only got a common room. There's no private rooms. Everything there is pretty much a few copper pieces each. Just don't expect to have a great meal. And, you know, if you feel a little queasy in the morning, then it's probably just the grease and the ale. So, and, and these are little fun things you can drop in there. There should, you know, try to at least mention, like, two, like, interesting details for each location. At least that's what I go by. Try to at least a couple. Three, three you know, was good, too. But then, as the players go back and developing those relationships, you're there from the beginning. Like, if you have a pre-made city, you're not there for the beginning and the creation of it. You weren't there to put it in context kind of deal. Where now, at this Green Goblin Inn, I've, I've got it. I was there at the very... It did not exist until I needed it. And it came up, popped up, and everything. However, the con of that part is the consistency. Because if you're not good at taking notes, which I'm guilty of, or I'm very good at taking notes, and then I lose the damn things because I write stuff on, like, different pieces of paper, the back of envelopes, you know, a map I didn't like... <laughs> And, and then trying to organize that and put it in all one place, you know, is sometimes a task when you're not organized in the beginning. Because if you're not organized in the beginning, if you're trying to organize later, you it's almost, you're, you're just putting yourself behind the eight ball, so to speak. But there's some tricks you can do, too. And I'm sure most GMs out there know that. Uh, to get players to kind of kind of go if you want to call it railroad i don't care again but there's an old trick in the old maid you know when you're playing old maid you're like oh, i got all the old maid shit you know how do i get how do i get robbed to take old maid from me well i learned this trick as a kid if if uh you stick a card higher than all the rest of them for whatever reason psychological psychologically people will take the card that's the highest don't know why done it forever and it works very very well i'm not going to say it works every time but it works enough that you know i win a lot at old maid yeah that's right old maid champion right here no i don't know but no it's, it's a very effective skill so when i'm when i want the players maybe i only have two taverns right now they ask the guard the guard goes oh yeah there's the green goblin inn and then if you want to go to a more fancy place, there's the Golden Lance down the, uh, you know, down the main fairway. And that's easy to find, so to speak. And so your suggestions from your NPCs can definitely help dictate where the players go. It's like the highest card thing. So you give them the two offerings. Plus, GMs, know your players. Get to know them. Um, and even if it's your convention or something like that, more than likely they're going to pick one of those twos because those those were, were offered. 
and you can and then depending on how you play the guard say you say hey the guard goes you know yeah you get the dragon or the golden lance but there's the green goblin in it's not quite as fussy definitely better on your wallet and uh you know if you tell them I went there or told you to go there, they offer me a free drink. And, you know, it's always good to have a city guard, you know, as a friend, so to speak. You know, that that might change the way the way it goes. And then you've kind of got these relationships built up with the players and the guards just from a simple referral, so to speak. Uh, but, yeah, so that's my first part about doing, making ends and, and kind of steering players a little bit. I mean, they may may not like either one of those, and you might have to come with a third one. In which case, if you if you've got the city thing, then you might have to do some flipping through. But you'll have it there. You know, at least you can get the general information. And that. And if you don't, if you're if you're doing your own, you know, it's easy enough. We're all great. We're we're all very skilled bullshitters. You can create one up on the spot. Just write down a few notes on someplace. Hopefully, it'll be organized, and you can note that later, so you can add that to your list of taverns or in within your towns. And then, of course, the more you use it, the more you're going to get. Uh, the more what are you going to say? Uh, the more you'll know it. The more you'll be comfortable with it. The more you'll be able to play off of it and have other things happen within there. And that so so that's my first part guys uh probably second part will be later on tonight so all right i'll be back soon it'll be a couple just a second for you guys let's talk about those shops that the players always love to go into in the city we're all you know of course you want to you're getting all that money for something. You, you got to spend it on something. And if you're in my game, you get extra experience points for spending your your silver in the shop. So why not drop as much as you can in these things? And again, a lot like the taverns, the same philosophy goes along with with establishing certain types of shops, certain types of. Uh, professionals or scholars or whatever whatever they might be looking for when they're shopping it's always difficult to tell what the players are going to do because they, they there's always a variant of what each one because that's when the party kind of doesn't stick together you'll have one going to you know the magic users going over to the magic shop the the fighter he's going he's like ogling swords and you got the cleric you know probably in church trying to fill up as many water skins they don't fill it you know because your clerics in game don't use little vials they'll they go get a water skins and then they fill it up with holy water because they try to get the most bang for their buck you know they do you know you do so when you're doing these cities again learn where the most important ones are and again Depending how big your city is, it may only have one shop. It might only have one weapon shop, which makes it super easy. Okay, here's what what did I call my kettles? And it was the re, it's kind of a cool background. Okay, I'll give you a kind of example of something that I did. So the players were looking for a for some shops and everything. So instead of making a whole bunch of separate shops for the session, what I did is basically made a 
a medieval flea market, which makes perfect sense because they did that a lot. And a lot of times they would do those in like in churches, actually in the church courtyards and whatnot, temple courtyards. So what I did is I have them made, I, I created this, uh, I'm going to call it a flea market in this one area and I called it kettles because uh, it's an old foundry place where they used to make tea kettles and different things, but now it's become something more, but the name stuck called it kettles and I, I think it's it's got a cool little background got a cool little history connected to it you know it's it's nothing that's going to be really that playable at this point I haven't thought of anything anyways but at least they can go there and then they can look at all the vendors in one place that way the players can the party can tend to stay with together and they can also interact because you know they're always swap you know Players get pretty generous with their money at, at the markets because, oh, you need 100 more silver to buy your shield. Okay, here's 100, you know, here's this. And that way they're all in the same spot. And it also allowed me to develop different stores in a, in a small area so they could see the different vendors in the same place. It, did, it gave them no really opportunity to kind of go outside of there because everything was in one spot. And it also allowed me to concentrate the session in, you know, in a few areas, which I think is important because in a city, because there's so much potential, there's no, it's not like you have walls, like in the dungeon, you're pretty much limited to, you know, one to three choices sometimes, you know, uh, you either go straight forward, left or right. You go here and then, you know, you, you have those set encounters. What's in the next place is the next. And, you know, it, it, it it's uh, easy, much easier to do run a dungeon than a city campaign because there is multiple choices and there's multiple rooms that you can go in at any time, at anywhere. You could have the thief all of a sudden, I'm going to climb up to the second floor of this building and break into it and see what they have. What? Which building? This one. And then he's like, uh, okay. And then like, what kind of building is it? Does it have a window? Does it do this? And they want all these freaking details. So it's, it's tough, but use your skills as a GM to guide the players into defined choices as much as possible. And I'm not talking about railroading, but I'm talking about keeping the players... together as much as you can because because sometimes you know it's okay if they split up i have no issue if they do that but if they're split up for most of the the thing it's the the adventure then it's going to be difficult to go back and forth and and especially when you're creating stuff from both ends for different sections of the party it, it's a little bit more taxing on you and i know for me like i already said my note taking isn't the best. So if I'm writing now, now I'm writing two sets of notes. Oh boy. Okay. I ran out of room on the back of this envelope. Oh, oh here's this sh shitty map I made of a dungeon. Okay. I, I guess I got some blank space. I'll squeeze in. Okay. This must be the sword maker. Da, da, da. You try to simplify it as much as you can for the gym, for your own sanity, <laughs> for my, for my sanity. That's what I do. But the thing is, it, it has this strange feeling. It has a strangeness, though, that it still gives the players, like, a full perspective. It's not like you're... 
they feel cheated that you're not letting them do stuff because you're not you, you can let them do stuff but the way you use your verbiage the NPCs they run into you can really help guide and selection because trust me you know that you always hear the word railroading well it's not railroads like one track and rarely is is that the case i mean you've got some adventures out there that are kind of like that but usually it's kind of a railroad with like three or four choices i mean you're still on the tracks but you know you're still still under some sort of because you've got rules and laws to abide by you can break those rules and laws but then there's always those consequences at the at the end but in the especially in the city um which is another thing i'll go into with about dealing with you know the criminal aspect of it because i we know our players behave badly especially in stores so we, i think i've kind of circumvented the store thing here but try to have you know what the what the players are going to go in there for have a few established have different um price range of qualities of things if it's big enough to to for that but you always you'll always have like you know these other vendors that are available too maybe it's just some guy walking around with a satchel with sword blades you know and that's what he's selling selling sword blades you gotta supply your own handle he doesn't know how to do the handles he's just selling the blades he gets them cheap from his brother and he walks around and he sells them for like maybe uh, half the price of what the other ones are selling. But you have to equip your own hilt and everything. So, uh, and then the fun thing with that, that kind of thing, with especially with, with stores, it, it, you kind of get to establish a lot of organizations in that way. A lot of my cities are guild heavy. So you've got the, you know, you've got the weapon maker guild, you get the armor maker guild you know just a lot of that i borrow from i think city state stuff they have like a whole bunch of list of different guilds and i, I try to plug those in as much as i can because i'm not very good at building the guilds themselves so in that aspect i do go for like maybe a pre-made guild because it just helps me make sense because i can fit it into what i want and it kind of helps me guide like the shops in a way too and maybe the attitudes of the shop owners because that's going to be a big thing to play in you've got all these npcs and that's another segment i'll be doing npcs the numerous almost uncountable number of npcs that the players may encounter during their uh adventures in, a, in an urban city in an urban city in a city uh but the other thing for going back to shops, keep kind of veering off here, is have an established list of items that they may have. Now, this doesn't mean you have to list all. Because, like, my, my say you go into a weapon shop and they're looking for a certain weapon. Well, depending on what quality the weapon shop is and, you know, where what part of town it is, I give I give it a percentage chance of being there. So maybe you know they're looking they're, they're going in there looking for a two-handed sword. And usually I use a a two d six probability. So if I roll higher than you know a five, one will be there, or maybe a few. And, then, and if I roll kind of higher than than multiple ones, and that's all arbitrary at the time, whatever I want to make up at the time. Uh, but that way you don't have to make all those lists. Uh, cause 
you know, making making lists of the equipment is about as boring as shit. So it's just easier just to give things a percentage chance. And so the higher quality places will usually have a higher chance of items being there, while lower end places are going to have a lower chance of the items being there. So that helps make the difference too. So, uh, and then also the attitude of the shop owners. The shop owners are going to definitely be more at the lower end, probably a little bit more, uh, what do you want to call it? A cooperative in some ways because they want the business. They want to, especially with adventures because they know if you can get a, a party of adventurers to, to become patrons of your, your store, then you, they're going to drop a lot of money in there if they like them. So they're going to, you know, maybe go out of their way a little bit more for someone they know that they're going to benefit from. Where the higher-end stores, they already have a bunch of adventuring parties. they got nobilities coming in. Um, they're not really going to bend over backwards for them or do that. I mean, but it's all it's all up to what you want to do. Maybe that's why this guy's a high-end or why she's got a high-end store because she does bend over backwards for even the the farm hands that come in there because she, she gets all their business because of that. And that, of course has more to do with the NPC side of things than, than the thing. But to, to make it easy, don't do the entire lists in there. I mean, it's just, it's just, ugh. So, I mean, do you really want to sit there and list everything that a store has? Just give it a percentage chance. Just get, you know, or not a percentage chance, but like a some probability. Just do a 2D6. So, you know, and if they want something really extravagant, well, you're going to have to roll an 11 or above to see if they have this maybe a silver two-handed sword i gotta get 11 or above for that roll 10 maybe if i get a 10 well no we don't have one today but we're expecting maybe one to come in in the next cut we have one on order or maybe they have uh you know they're they've they've had one they have something else coming in that's maybe maybe they have a battle axe that's silver instead of a two-handed sword kind of thing and run with it give that that should give you the, the GM a lot of opportunity to um, to role play with. Because man, I mean, this city adventures are a role playing mecca. So, all right, guys, that's it on uh, shops, and I'll keep on going. I think the next one, next segment will be what will it be? Did the maps, did this. I think the next one will probably be the NPCs themselves. All right. All right, let's talk about NPCs. NPCs are the engine of your city. Probably the most important thing in any type of kind of civilized type place, whether it's a village or anything, but... In cities, it's kind of especially important because you have so many different interactions going on because of the population and the organizations. You're going to have numerous organizations, different guilds, different uh, wards in the city, different classes of people, different gangs in the city, and, and just the personal relationships between everybody and how in-depth you get into that probably depends on the situation and what kind of game you're running. There's some games where you're just going to run and you're going to have your designated spots in the city and you'll have like one or two NPCs that the players interact with. 
and then if but if you're more like mine it's a little bit more free flowing and I try to get like the the places that I have I previously talked about like shops or inns that I have I usually have a couple NPCs already developed there like the owner owners or workers or something along those lines people that they're going to be interacting with pretty much uh, I don't want to say automatically, but primarily. Uh, then, but then the players are going to probably, if they like a place like an inn, then they're going to, then you're probably going to want to develop a couple more NPCs uh, to have there. Maybe some customers and that come in regularly and whatnot. But one of the, the tricks to the trade for me for doing the NPCs is because you cannot have every NPC detailed. It's just. It's just so, you know, it's, I'm not going to say it's impossible because I'm sure somebody does have them out there, but not, you know, us normal people have to set limits and whatnot. But if you have the NPCs listed, say you have a bartender that you know, but you're not really sure what exactly it is. What, what I usually do is I, and I've said this before, I kind of pick out a actor in a movie. Say you have a bartender or a TV show, it doesn't matter. And you can have your actor be, you know, it doesn't have to be so on the nose, but you could have it be like Sam Malone from Cheers. And he's going to kind of be this ex, in, the, in this case, you know, maybe an ex-soldier that was making, you know, a climb up. You know, he was he was part of the part of the officers, but then his drinking got the better of him. But, you know, in an ironic uh, twist of fate he now runs a bar and is sober and just having that little thing you know putting on Sam Malone next to the bartender or whatever most of us have like a background with the tv shows or the movies that we're watching so we you automatically get that little bit of depth with it and then you can just play on that all as much as you want use as much of it as you want you can even get the voice from that uh you know uh using I know <laughs> a funny one would be like using like one of the town guards and everything like Matthew McConaughey, you know, you kind of approach the, uh, you know, the city garden is like you approaching like, all right, all right, all right. What are we doing here today? <laughs> you know, just fun stuff like that. it makes it memorable. You might, you know, have fun with it. So that, that simple trick can really make developing your NPCs very easy. The other th trick I kind of use is before game starts, I just randomly generate a batch of names. Uh, I try to do it enough that, you know, there's female names, there's male names, and then there's like, uh, like maybe some weird names for like goblins or, or uh, orcs or hobgoblins or something like that kind of along that line and then if you're else depending on your your races and everything you want to keep a list of you know a few names of each racial type if, if you if they're that distinct from the other ones and the nice thing about that is you can reuse this list again and again from game to game until it kind of gets used up and filled so that way if the players are running down the street i don't know hey hey, hey i want to i want to stop the first dwarf that i find and ask him about you know, this rune that I found. So then I can just like, okay, you're running down the street and you see this uh, kind of youngish dwarf who's, you know, kind of doesn't look like he's 
got anything better to do and he's leaning up against the wall and uh smoking a pipe and then when the players start interacting with him i just kind of go down the line and look for a dwarven name and that way i'm not hesitating trying to create because some there's some nights where i can whip out npc names like they or nothing i can do it this is easy blah, blah, blah. and there's other nights you know everybody's named bob I, just, I was like, I just don't have the fuel in the brain to, to come up with something. So that little trick with having those lists prepared ahead of time makes a, makes a big help. And then what I do is I usually have open, like, a, you know, their name. And then beside it, then I will, I will write down a note, you know, dwarf they found in the street, um, gave them information about so-and-so. Because that way later on, if they want to refer back to the dwarf, it's already on your list and you, you know what it is and it, you know, you're covered there. Um, it's, it's, a, it, and it's a good idea. Like if you have organizations, one of the things I found very helpful, say you have a mages guild. It, I think it's a good idea to kind of, Figure out how your guild works a little bit. You know, you don't have to know all the nuances, but at least know the basic structure of it. And then you list, like, the hierarchy of who is in there. Kind of like a, a job list. Like, this person does this. You know, this person's in charge, covers this. This person does this. At least have some of that sketched out. Not all the way. You don't have to get it detailed all the way down. Because that's what the uh, other names are for, but the but the main list because that's going to be the the philosophy of how an organization's run by these NPCs is going to be pretty much determined by those who are the higher up. So you can look at these NPCs and say, okay, this mages guild is a conservative mages guild. They they don't really want to deal with the regular society. They kind of want to just be left on their own, left on their own, and kind of want to just do their own thing and not have to deal with the normal people because they don't understand that's their problem, not ours. Or you could have, you know, a leader who's a bit more progressive and he wants to integrate and wants to be a part of society and work alongside them and, uh, and whatnot. So, you know, you got that, <laughs> you know, that the, those possibilities with that. Um, and then again, you know, for the lower end, you can use that list, you know, like say they just go into the door and they're, they're you know, maybe they have a Walmart greeter at the Mages Guild and you need something and then you got, you know, you need a name and, oh, there's Ted. Ted's at the door. He greets the party, blah, blah, blah. And then you can write down a actor's name next to it if that'll, you know, help you more. But uh, NPCs themselves are probably the most difficult things to keep track of, especially the names. But if you do keep that roster, it definitely helps. It's, uh, I know when I keep, when I have that roster with me, if I do that little bit of work ahead of time and divide up the names and add all that stuff to it and just kind of divide it up into, like I said, male, female, races and whatnot, it's definitely a lot easier for me to refer back to and and know what the party is referring because the party never seems to forget you know it's like oh yeah that dwarf clyde I'm like dwarf clyde who which, where'd you meet dwarf the clyde or clyde the dwarf and yeah he's the one who uh, was on the wall no, 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 no. and i'm like oh yeah and i don't really remember still but you kind of just do that fake agreement I'm like okay yeah sure 
at least if you have the roster, you've got his name. You got kind of a note beside it that lets you know what exactly Clyde's interaction with. And I and and with the and with the guards too, because guards are important. Guards are always a factor in this. And uh, get them, get a list going. You know, have a bit of a roster there. Take the time to flesh it out because you know your players are probably going to be interacting with them. Now the the interesting things you can do is if you you, you know these NPCs are going to drive the adventures in the in in the uh, urban area, uh, they're going to be more NPC driven than they are by location or item or, um, you know, the other normal ones that drive like maybe a, a, a dungeon adventure. Urban adventures most of the time are going to be driven by, by NPCs and, you know, their motives and their desires or whatever. So that's a good thing to keep in mind because if you think about all the adventures that you could develop with all the people that are in a city like i said we've run entire campaigns without ever leaving the city walls and it was fantastic so uh, i think that's it i'm just trying to think if there was there was another one i was going to give an example of um i think that's about it so the the next part of this will be about using those NPCs and, you know, kind of developing adventures within an urban area. All right, let's talk about the adventures in an urban setting. Uh, all the stuff that I spoke about previously about developing NPCs, about uh, you know, building your town, maybe, you know, the different ways. Because if you get a custom or a, a, a pre-made town, it's probably going to have a few adventures built in there or, what you know, adventure hooks, things like that. And, but if you're doing your own, you can actually just write up a few for that. Uh, and it doesn't have to be all that complicated. In fact, the simpler the adventure hooks, the better, because then that gives, makes it easier to get the players involved the biggest thing about building an adventure in a, in a city too is those relationships that they're going to build up with the npcs it's going to be no matter how you kind of run the 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 party is probably going to ally themselves with a group or a side or a belief or something along those lines so if they're on one side that means there's somebody or something on the other side so you've got a built-in adversary whether it's a passive one or whether it's an aggressive one it, it can it can be both at the same time there you know the whole cliche about uh you know helping a old lady clear out the the giant rats from her cellar is you know like you know the the typical first adventure on uh you know these video games and everything it's it, you know people make fun of it but it's actually a very good starter adventure it's it's not too bad you don't it, it's a good one to get people not only adjusted to your setting a little bit but it helps them sort of automatically develop a an association with this this lady so now they've got a starting point with some sort of a relationship that can be built upon and actually used to benefit the players later on or possibly uses uh, an adventure seed later on 
and the thing is, is you don't have to run it as is. It's it's fun to take those tropes like that. I'm not going to call them stereotypes. I like to call them tropes, and uh, they and then twist them a little bit and make them a little bit more, a little bit different from what they the expectations. Especially if you're an experienced player. If you have newbies, the fun thing is, is all this that's new to them. You know, the giant rats in the cellar becomes a whole fascinating new thing. And uh, you know you can you can run the hell out of that thing with with, with them. Uh, the other thing is, especially if you've got new folks, that kind of combat is kind of helps people learn combat with with the simple encounter. But to more focus on the the urban side of it, people are gonna people are gonna hear. You know, the GM should sort of have. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it a reputation system, but some sort of arbitrary little thing that they can they can uh, have where you know the deeds of the party aren't don't ha- happen in a vacuum. Other people are going to um, hear them, hear about what they're doing, and know what they're doing, and see how that may affect who they you know ally themselves with. You know, because sometimes the party might do a very good deed, but, you know, hey, that was the Thieves Guild's hideout, and now you've exposed it. And so this Thieves Guild is now pissed off at the party because because of that. They're, they're good, you know, there's an old saying, at least in, in my line of work, that no good deed goes unpunished. So you can use that a lot because you have so many interactions and so many relationships that you can kind of just build on their actions and build and build on it. Because think about it, if you're going into, you know, the keep on the borderlands and you're going into the caves of chaos, you know, you clear out, clear out the, the, what the, is the cobalt den or whatever. Okay, it's cleared out. Yeah, you cleared out the cobalt, but there's not, not real any ramifications because, because of that. Maybe some orcs move into it or, you know, something along those lines. But generally, you know, where you live at, it's, it's a neutral territory, so nothing much happens. But think about it like this. Think if you go, your, your, your old lady that you just helped out clear out the, the giant rats for, and she lost a family heirloom. Maybe it wasn't worth much. Maybe it's just a trinket, but it's important to her. You know, the value is is um, not in the in the uh, you know the silver evaluation of it. It's more in the sentimental part. And basically, it's just like you know these punk thieves, these punk thugs came up, took it from her just because of shits and giggles, and they liked it. They could. Oh, the party goes and cracks some skulls and kicks some ass, and they return it. Hey, very good deed, you know, way to go. And then, then like, you know, might not. This is the fun thing too. This is something that you know, as a GM, you have to learn your chops. You have to learn your timing on when these things might occur, like the a speed of which plots will develop. But uh, maybe these thugs were associated with the, with the thieves guild, or maybe a big, just a big gang of thugs. And all of a sudden, you know, when they go out to the bar or whatever, and when they leave it, they're kind of jumped or greeted by, you know, twice as many as there was before. And now we've got this adversary build up just because you had this relationship with this older lady all over a ring that wasn't worth much. You really can't do that that much in a, a dungeon crawl. 
another example, you know, you're talking about political factions and you just like, say you've got an overlord. I'm going to use the overlord because that's usually what I use. So, so you got an overlord of the, of the city state and with under the overlord, you have various dukes with, you know, that are, have various political views and the overlord is the guy who kind of reigns them all in. And you side yourself with one of the dukes. You're like, hey, you know, I like this guy. I'm going to work for him. Uh, you know, he's going to give me a plot of land or whatever. Well, now you're wearing the colors of the duke. So now you know because you have allied with him, now you're going to have opposition maybe from another possible duke. Or even, the, even some normal folk peasants and stuff that would, you know, they might see you... You know, you were like the, uh, what do you want to call it, a, a, an everyday guy. You were, you were the champion of the farmers and, and, you know, you helped them out. But now you're wearing these colors and they might look at you differently now because now you represent the Duke. And now the relationship you've had with these farmers is going to change because of that. And it's not, it could change for the good, it could change for the worse. That's what it's all about. So the biggest key for adventures in urban stuff is building those relationships with the NPCs. And you will never, ever run out of adventures. Not all of them are going to be knockout, you know, drag out fights. You know, you really have to rein in the murder hoboism because you can't go on a killing spree in the middle of town. And that's... There's another point I'm going to come to is the city guards. <laughs> what was it? That, there was there's what was the old game? I think it was Ultima or Ultima. And like if you <laughs> if you killed somebody in town, these big guard guys would like they, you know they had like I don't know they looked like brick walls and they would just attack. You couldn't do anything to them. And they just whacked at you until you were dead. Then they'd just like walk away. Stroll away real slow, like you bastards, you know, you got me in that. But you really can't do that in a fantasy game. Uh, one of the things that I did as an experiment is I ran a campaign. It was a short one, but it, I think it was pretty effective, where the party was made up of city guards. We used to do these theme campaigns where we'd kind of pick a group, and then everybody in the in the party would be a member of like the mages guild the thieves guild that way we could flesh it out more you know and, and really develop it and uh and in this case we did the city guards because the city guards are always a element to an urban adventure they're the one they're the ones on the wall they're the ones that are supposed to like rein in the adventures and that's difficult how do you get a police force that isn't lethal that's fighting these you know, fairly potent adventures. They're, you know, adventures are usually, you know, badasses through and through. Well, we developed a few techniques on how to do it. And usually it's, you know, by number, you know, the, the, the uh, city guards come in in mass. And also there is that uh, effect where if you become outlawed, at the same time, then you're not going to be able to sleep anywhere. You're not going to be able to stay anywhere. You're not going to be able to sell your goods in town. So there, there is a lot of, um, what do you want to call it, effects that go beyond just 
imprisonment. You know, it can it can actually go on to these other things. And that's something you're going to want to really develop in your urban adventures also is your legal strictness. You know, maybe it is like an old west town. As long as there's a fair fight, you can kill somebody. Uh, maybe it's um, a free-for-all, whether you got slavers just sweeping the streets at night looking for warm bodies to throw on ships and sell. And it could be a highly uh, strict one where you're not even allowed to carry weapons. You got to check them at the gate. You know, you're not allowed to carry these things around. You can carry a blade no longer than, you know, uh, you know a guard's hand so to speak and you have to forfeit it or you're not allowed in so i guess it's like you have to decide what your martial law status is within a uh, in a um your urban place most of the time i kind of use it as a loose almost like a loose uh western type thing where there is some killing but if you if 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 you do end up killing someone you're still going to have to go to a court and represent yourself in a way there's a legal system to it and uh, depending on where you're at, how severe it is, because some of the places and depending on who you kill also, of course, I mean, it's one thing to kill a thief who was trying to steal your stuff than it is to kill a duke just because the duke was arrogant and a dick to you. You can't do that, you know, and so on. No, that's not going to that's not going to pass. It's not going to go so well. But using the legal system, too, God, that can add to so much more to your games like i said the nice thing is it's fun putting those players in those catch-22 situations where you know they're damned if they do they're damned if they don't they you know if i do this this place is going to be this group of people are going to be happy with what i did and i'm going to help out the old lady but if i do it you know i'm going to have the silent knives thieves guild hunting me down at night and possibly trying to poison me or doing something horrible to me it's 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 just rife with possibilities so all right guys i think that'll be the last segment i'm sure this is a way too long podcast but eric threw down the gauntlet and i picked it up and i guess i picked up all the other armor too so um appreciate anybody who was able to with you know tolerate this long a podcast uh one little announcement uh, i i did do my recording with matt jackson for adventure design sessions about maps on monday so i'm going to be working on that probably tonight and to get it out either this week or you know this weekend or early next week we'll see all right guys take care roll better than me and we'll talk soon